I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Now, if you're not familiar with where Philippians is located and you need some pointers into how to get there, let, let me help you out here. If you're in a physical Bible, just open up to the very beginning to the table of contents. Uh, in that section, you're going to notice that the Bible has two main parts to it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the book of Philippians is in the New Testament. So find the New Testament, go through, it's around halfway through that list of books of the Bible. Uh, find Philippians, go to that page number, and go to chapter 4. Now, if you're in an app, pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and you'll find Philippians is a little less than three-quarters of the way down that list. So Philippians chapter 4. Now, I'm old enough, and some of you may be watching and say that I'm pretty young, but I'm old enough to remember when GPS first came out. You had to buy a TomTom a, a -tom or a Garmin, some kind of device that you would put in your car and you would connect it and you would put in your destination and that device separate from your cell phone would get a guide you and, and they're still around today you just don't see them quite as often but in its early days they were still mapping out many places uh, and many times it gave you faulty directions uh, for instance uh, my in-laws came into town uh, when we lived in Lake Havasu City Arizona and we went shopping we decided to drive up to Las Vegas and do some shopping and we found this place to to the, that had some stores that we wanted to go to. So my father-in-law plugged in the destination into his uh, GPS device and it took us up there. And I remember very distinctly, uh, we were driving along, we had gotten off of the highway and we had come to a stoplight. And you could very clearly to the left, you could see this mall, this place that we were going to, but the, the GPS device was calling us to turn right, to go the opposite direction. And as we looked at the, the de GPS device to figure out where it was taking us, it was taking us on like a 10-mile route that took us a long way around when all we had to do was turn left and it was right there. Well, I was driving the car and so I said, I said to my father-in-law, I'm going to turn left. And sure enough, we turned left and we were there in less than 30 seconds. Have you ever gotten bad directions or, or maybe have you ever gotten lost somewhere because you misunderstood where you needed to turn or what direction you needed to go? Well, luckily for us, that happens in our own life, but luckily God gives us turn-by-turn -turn directions for most aspects of our life. Sometimes those directions don't make sense. Not in a worldly sense, at least. They, they may not seem logical. They may not seem uh, the, the, using the wisdom or, or the knowledge of the world, but they make sense in a spiritual aspect. And today, we're going to talk about controlling the direction of our life. Remember, we've been in this conversation about the church and culture and this idea about uh, how the Bible instructs us to live as the followers of Jesus in a culture that doesn't necessarily like the followers of Jesus. Well, if we're going to live for Jesus, we need to understand the directions that God gives us for our lives. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter four. We're gonna begin at the very beginning of that chapter, verse one. 
And again, this is Paul writing. He's writing to uh, a church in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And listen to this set of final instructions that Paul gives to the Philippian church. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia, and I entreat Sint. Sintic, uh, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, now keep your hand in this place. We're going to come back to this passage a few times. But Paul makes it clear that like driving a car, and following directions, we have to follow the directions of the person who has the destination in mind. Uh, let's be honest for a minute. In this journey of life, in this journey with Jesus, we don't actually know, unless we've received some kind of prophetic word from the Lord, we don't actually know our end destination. The Bible's very clear. Repeatedly, it talks about how we don't know what is going to happen in the next day, and that we should live for Christ moment by moment, day by day, thinking about what we need to do to lead people to Christ in the future, but ultimately living in the moment, living today to lead people to Jesus, to, to be a disciple of Jesus right here and right now, that, that we should plan, but don't place faith in those plans. You see, Jesus knows the destination. Jesus has our turn-by-turn -turn directions. And unlike that GPS device that I began talking about today, Jesus knows exactly which turns that we should be taking in our journey with him. Ultimately though, today I wanna focus on the directions that Jesus gives for our mind and our thinking. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, Jesus, uh, through Paul, instructs us to take control of every thought and make it subject to the power of Christ. And, and so today, I want to talk about what that looks like, because 2 Corinthians 10.5 and Philippians chapter 4 speak a lot about how we control our thinking and where our thinking should be focused, which leads me to today's big idea. If you've ever watched one of my messages, you know that I usually give 
one simple statement that, that kind of summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. What consumes your thoughts consumes your life. Think about that for a second. What consumes your thoughts will also consume your life. Our thoughts, our thinking, our attitude, our approach, our mental processes, our viewpoints, our worldview, all of those things are going to consume and direct our lives in a lot of ways. Paul gives us a lot of instruction here in Philippians chapter four about controlling our thoughts and where our thoughts should be driven. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but in verses one through three, he addresses these two women who apparently had been in some kind of conflict with one another, and it's creating division within the church. He, he addresses how our minds should think of others and think about others within the church. You see, we have, we have control over how we deal with one another, even how we think about one another. We, we are called as followers of Jesus to take control of our hateful thoughts, to take control of our thoughts that create division between us and the other followers of Jesus. The call of Christ is to resolve our conflicts, to reconcile those disputes that may be between us as followers of Jesus, to seek forgiveness and redemption for whatever situation it may be. But the counter to that is that the Bible repeatedly gives us very strong warnings about people who simply will not seek reconciliation, who are continually contentious and divisive. Let me give you two examples from God's word. Romans 16, verse 7 or 16 verse 17, excuse me. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid these people. That's very strong language. But it's very clear that if we have people within our church body who is intentionally or constantly causing division, who's constantly contentious, our call is not to make excuses for them or uh, uh, to include them or to just allow that to continue. The call is to avoid them altogether. This is backed further. Go to Titus 3, Titus 3 verses 9 through 11. It says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now listen to this part, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The, the fact of the matter is, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul is encouraging the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, to help these two women who are in conflict to resolve their differences, to reconcile, to forgive, and to seek redemption. And then elsewhere in Romans 16, Titus 3, and several other places throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, the Bible instructs us to not allow divisiveness, to not allow people who are constantly contentious. 
It has to do with our thinking and our thoughts. So, so if you're a person that, that you find yourself constantly getting in arguments or uh, accusing or, or getting angry or, or, or seeking out to, to divide, whether you intentionally do it or not, maybe it's time to reevaluate your intentions and the instructions that God word, God's word has to say about how we deal, uh, how we should think of others within the church. Now let's move to the next passage in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, read with me verses 4 4 through 7. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so in verses one through three, Paul instructs us about how our minds should think about others within the church. In verses four through seven, he talks about how our minds are to be directed He gives us some step-by-steps here. In verses four through five, he talks about rejoicing, how our thoughts uh, should be directed into things that we rejoice in. Uh, Rejoice and be gentle in your dealings with people around you. But then in verses six and seven, Paul shifts and he begins talking about how we deal with worry and anxiety and fears and things like that. Uh, So Paul says, first off, don't be anxious. He just lays it out plainly. Anxiousness, worry, fear, those are not godly. Uh, Jesus goes in in Matthew 5 and says something very similar. He says, uh, who by worrying can add a single day to your life? And so he gives this long instruction in Matthew chapter 6 about how we're not called to worry how we are supposed to trust that God cares for us instead and he's going to take care of our concerns. So Paul says, do not be anxious. And then he goes into saying how to not be anxious. He says, go to the Lord in prayer and through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we, we give our concerns, our worries, our anxieties, our fears, we give them to God. Now, now, prayer is simply communication, communing with God, but supplication is specifically giving requests to the Lord. But, but we can't forget also that we're called to do this with thanksgiving. We always have something to be thankful for. Even if our lives are a mess, we can always lean into the gratitude that we have that Jesus is in our life, that God gave his one and only son to die in our place, to pay the price for our sins so that instead of receiving eternal death, we could instead receive eternal life. We can can always be thankful for that. So how do we deal with anxiety? We pray, we give him our request, supplication, and we, we give him our gratitude, our thankfulness. And it says that in doing that, we allow the peace of God, which, which defies all of our understanding, to live within us. And we should embrace and live in that peace. 
Now, this means that you have to fully give up those anxieties and worries and fears. You can't give those to God and say, God, I need you to take this worry, this anxiety, this issue that I have, take it, I give you control, and then walk away after we've prayed and then come back and go, oh wait, God, let me just hold on to this little piece. Our call is to fully trust God to fully give him control over all of the worries and concerns and fears that we have that, that anchors in our minds and hearts. You see, anxiety, as referred to in this passage, is the intense desire for something and the fear of the consequences of not receiving it. So, so anxiety can be, oh, I need to pay this bill, or, or how do I take care of this, or my relationship over here is damaged, or I'm concerned about the direction of our culture, or our government, or the world. We have to give those fears and anxieties to God, and, and let Him, through instruction from His Word, and through the miracles that he performs in our lives, those, those provisions that he gives to us to take care of those issues, we have to trust him. We have to understand that God has a purpose and a reason for why we go through some of the situations that we go through in our lives. So anxiety is that desire for something and the fear of what might happen if we don't get it if we don't get our way, or if things don't go the way we want them to. This is a negative and ineffective worry. Uh, but let's think practically about this for a moment. Why is this wrong? Well, first off, we know that this does damage to our bodies. We know physiologically that when you live in worry, it creates a chemical inside your body, and that chemical literally, uh, over long periods of time, does damage to your heart, to your lungs, and other organs. Literally, being a worrier will shorten your lifespan and will make your life miserable. But, but on a spiritual aspect, worry is a form of functional atheism. It's living as if God does not exist or have power. You can claim to love the Lord and trust him and have faith in him, but if you're living in constant worry and anxiety and fear, all of that faith and trust is for naught. It's nothing. It, it's meaningless because you are living mentally in your mind as if God doesn't exist and have power in your life. So, so let go of the worry. The second thing spiritually that worry does in your life is it destroys the joy that is inside of you. If you're constantly living in worry and anxiety and fear, there's no room in your mind for joy. There's no room in your heart for the joy of the Lord. Thirdly, spiritually, it makes us self-absorbed. When we are constantly worrying about all the things around us, the focus starts becoming about us because that's what anxiety and worry and fear is. It's a selfish concern about not getting what we want or the way we want it. And so over time, worry makes us a very self-absorbed individual when, when in reality, the Bible calls us to be others focused, to be God focused, as we talked about last week. Next, it distracts us from God's mission in our life. If we're spending all this time living in worry and anxiety and fear, 
then we've got no time to do the work that Christ is calling us to, to live out the mission that Christ wants for our lives. Let's be honest, if we're constantly complaining about our worries and our, our anxieties and our fears, then why would anyone want to follow Jesus? Jesus, following Jesus is not a life of fear. Following Jesus is a life of trust and hope. And so we, ha- we can't live out the mission of Christ if we're constantly living in worry and anxiety and fear. Lastly, it robs us of the peace of God. Just like this passage in Philippians 4, 7 says, if, if we're constantly living in the worry and anxiety and fear of that, that wells up inside our minds and hearts, then we can't have peace. And Jesus calls us to receive the peace that comes from the Lord. So, Let me make something very clear though. The anxiety that this passage is talking about is not addressing mental health problems. Please hear me. There is a distinct difference between normal anxiety and worry and fear that that we need to take care of through spiritual and biblical means as instructed here in Philippians 4. There's a difference between that and mental illness that may be hurting you inside of your mind and your heart. You see, normal worry and anxiety are dealt with by the prescription laid out here in Philippians 4 and other places in God's word. But mental illness like depression or panic disorder or chronic phobias, or chronic phobia disorder, or clinical OCD, those types of anxieties require professional help. Let me, let me explain this for just a moment. If I have a disease like diabetes, no one in their right mind would tell me, don't seek medical care for your diabetes. No, I'm gonna go to the doctor And I'm going to go get the insulin and other medications that I need for my body to be healthy. Why? Because there's something physiologically wrong with a part of my body, with diabetes specifically, and my pancreas is not operating properly. And when I eat, I'm basically allowing my body to poison itself. And so I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get insulin and whatever medications the doctor prescribes to help me deal with the diabetes that I suffer from. Please understand me, your brain, that organ that is inside your head is a physiological organ, and sometimes physiological problems can happen in that organ just like it can happen in anywhere else in our body. Sometimes the physiological problems that happen inside of our physiological, our physical brain need physiological, physical treatments. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. So if you suffer, if you struggle with some type of mental disorder or mental illness, please hear me. There's always hope for you. God is a God of hope. He wants to, to, for you to experience healing and he can heal you. Sometimes that healing happens through biblical means. Like, like, uh, and what I mean by that is sometimes it occurs 
that healing occurs through following what Philippians 4 says. And I think that's always going to be a part of your healing process in mental illness. But please hear me. Sometimes God heals through medical means, through a prescription or a procedure or a therapy of some kind. And again, there is no shame on this. Know this, God knows your hurt and he wants your healing. If you need to speak with someone, please reach out to us. We would love to help you find someone that you can uh, go to that can help you find the treatment that can help you overcome and get healing from the mental illness that you suffer from. I think that Philippians 4 that we've been discussing it is one p- piece of the puzzle, but you may need something else, something more. And God has given us medical technology for our healing. So don't be ashamed to go seek that out. God cares for you. God loves you no matter what your situation may be. He loves you more than you know. I mean, after all, he sent his one and only son to die on a cross to heal you and I from the disease of sin that we have in our lives. Sin is a disease. It is a spiritual disease that has been passed down from the first human, from Adam. And all of us receive this infection of sin that plagues us and ultimately ultimately leads to death, even eternal death, eternal punishment. But please hear me, Jesus sent his one and only son because he loves you so much that he wanted to provide a way for you to be healed of the sin, the disease of sin that we all have in our lives. If you would believe in Jesus, committing your life to him and what he says to do and going and telling others about the life-changing hope that only can be found in Jesus, then you can experience the life change that I'm talking about. You see, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you, to rescue you from the disease of sin that you have in your life. He is the only cure that is available out there to cure you of your sin, the consequences of your sin. This is the only way, Jesus is the only way to be rescued from that eternal punishment that sin brings into our life. And if you believe in Jesus, instead of that eternal punishment, you can have eternal life with him. And if you don't know Jesus, if if you don't believe in him, or maybe you've got questions about what this looks like or, or questions about what I've been talking about, I want you to reach out to us. I want you to click on the link that's in the post of this video uh, that takes you to our website, to the contact us page on our website. Go to the contact us page on our website, fill out that short form, and I will reach out to you as soon as possible. Uh, I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus loves you and Jesus wants to bring healing and peace and hope to your life. So if you want to know more, if you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out to us through that website or contact the office this week. We would love to answer any questions and help you understand what a journey with Jesus looks like. Now let's move to the next section of this passage, verses eight and nine. Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul here addresses where our minds should be directed. In the previous passage, he talked about how our minds should be directed. In this section of Philippians 4, he talks about where our minds should be directed. He gives us the things that we should be focused on. And this applies to all of this. This requires mental discipline and strength. You see, your mind is like a muscle. Uh, it's going to be hard to take control of those thoughts at first. But, but just like 2 Corinthians 10.5 instructs us, we're still commanded to do it. But the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. So if I go to the gym and I pick up a dumbbell for the first time, man, that dumbbell is gonna feel heavy. But if I consistently go in in a healthy way and I pick that dumbbell up and I do that exercise uh, over and over, over a series of weeks, picking up that dumbbell and doing that exercise is going to get easier. So much so that to the point, there may come a time when I need to move up into a, a heavier dumbbell because that muscle is growing and it's getting stronger because I'm pushing it, I'm exercising it, I'm using it. Just like your muscles need to be used and pushed in order to grow and be stronger, your mind need, you need to allow your mind not to sink into the worry and the anxiety and fear. That's not working your brain. That's laziness, that's mental laziness. It's spiritual laziness. But if we obey 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and if we obey Philippians 4, 8, then our minds will be working. It will be exercising and pushing our mind to grow and be stronger. It may seem like you're weak at first, but the more and more you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be stronger and stronger in the name of Jesus. You have to depend on Jesus and his Holy Spirit to do this, but it will be difficult at first. But please believe me, just like a muscle, you can get better. So what do you find your mind thinking on? Let me just throw out a few things. And I want you, as I'm throwing these out, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if any of these things are problems in your own mind, in your own thinking. Do you find your thoughts going to hateful thoughts? Do you find your thoughts going to unhealthy thoughts about someone? Do you think, is your mind, does your mind and your thoughts go to unhealthy thoughts uh, if you're married about someone other than your spouse or maybe hateful thoughts against your spouse? Do you think too much about others stuff about other people's things or their success or their money or whatever, or even their happiness or whatever uh, you think they are, their beauty. Do you think about others too much? Maybe you play the comparison game that we talked about last week. Do you think about how afraid you are of something? Maybe you're afraid of uh, something that's happening in your life or a bill that's coming up or Maybe you're worried about uh, your family or relationship. Maybe you're worried about the future. If your thoughts dwell on fear, 
You need to reevaluate that. Uh, let me read verse eight again. And, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit as I'm reading this, ask the Holy Spirit to help you live and think this way. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Paul is clear in verse 8 and 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we have control over our thoughts. And Paul is clear here in Philippians 4, 8, that our thoughts should be focused on good, godly, excellent, noble things, things that are worthy of praise, not in anxiety or worry or fear. So here's my question. How much control do you have over your thoughts? And how do you find your, what do you find yourself thinking about? And what do you need to do about that? Let's go to the Lord right now and let's ask him through his Holy Spirit to train us, to teach us, to strengthen us, to focus our thoughts on the things that he calls us, commands us to focus on. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have given us the power through your Holy Spirit to have control over our thoughts, that we take every thought captive in Jesus Christ, just as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, that we can do that through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would focus our thoughts on the things that are mentioned in Philippians 4.8, that we would, just as Philippians 6 and 7 says, that we would, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says that we should give our anxieties and our worries and fears to you through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. We pray that you would, as Philippians 4, 8 says, that we would focus our thoughts on good, godly things. Help us to purge anxiety and worry and fear from our minds and instead live in the trust and the joy and the hope of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. I lift up everyone right now who may be watching or listening who is struggling with mental illness. And Lord, I pray that you would help them find the people who can help them to have victory over this mental illness. Lord, I pray that you would remove any shame from their, their thinking in, going, in their going and seeking help for this. Lord, instead, place people in their lives that will encourage them that will help them find someone, that they can have victory over this problem that they may have in their minds. Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to have victory over anxiety, worry, and fear. And we pray that instead you would help us to live in faith and the trust and the hope that can only be found in you. We thank you, Lord. And we lift all of this in Jesus' name, amen.